Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Our sermon series of It Takes a Body. And, and sometimes, you know, when you watch a movie and you, you're not really sure if you want to get up because you don't know if there's like deleted scenes or like extras or things like that. And I was talking with Pastor Sean before service. And he's like, I thought we were done, but, but God gave me a little bit more. So stay seated uh, for what God's going to do and, and direct your attention to the clip to, to promote this one last It Takes a Body series. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're gonna make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials. And we want a church that... Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. <laughs> Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. Ugh. It's going to take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching, it's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical. Okay. Next week, we start John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five-minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. Me Church, where it's all about you. Yeah, I think I need to pray after that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get going here. Lord, we thank you so much that you are in this place. We can feel your spirit. We can feel your presence. And we ask you to come and to, to minister to us today and let breathe through these words that we're going to be talking about. Your word, we know that there's life in it. Change us, challenge us, and, and let us be different when we walk out of this place than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week, if you weren't here, uh, you may be wondering why these chairs are up here. And if you were here, I'll give you a refresher. We use these chairs as an illustration to talk about the different levels that we find ourselves in when we're pursuing God. And the first one that we talked about is, is the spiritually lost. And we have this chair set. How many guys know in your house you, you set out a nice guest chair for people? And there may be people in this house today that are coming for the first time, kind of checking out God, trying to check out you know, what this Jesus thing is all about. And so you may be in this chair the spiritually lost chair, and you, it, there's ways to identify which chair you're sitting in. And one of the phrases we might hear you say is something like, you know, I believe there's all, there are many different ways to heaven and different things like that. You might find yourself in this chair. Uh, this other chair here, it, it's maybe you've crossed over. Now you're a believer. Now you're walking with Jesus. Maybe you're a new believer. And, and some phrases you might hear somebody say in this chair is, you know, I, I don't want to break up my small group because I'm just getting, you know, friends. And, and the reason why you 
you might be in this chair saying that is because it's really become about you. You know, how many guys know if you have kids, we've got a lot of kids in the building. How many kids, you know, it's all about them all the time, isn't it? I mean, if you take their shoe off wrong, it, it's over, isn't it? I mean, it's just it lost it, right? And so sometimes uh, if you're in this chair as a new believer, you might say some things like that. Uh, and that would be a way to identify you. How many of you guys know that you don't have to be a new believer to be in this chair, though, do you? You could be following God for 30 years and still it all be about you. This is the me church chair that we just looked at, where it's all about me. It's, you know, I've got to have everything just the way I want it or I'm upset. And so uh, we've got this chair and then we've got this chair and then we come over to the spiritual young adult chair. Now, this chair over here, hopefully you're growing up a little bit in God. Hopefully maybe some of the rough edges are coming off you. This chair is a little bit uncomfortable. I pulled this chair out of my office because it's painful. I bought them specifically to keep you out of my office, you know, because you sit down and not want to stay. Uh, but it's painful. You have to have a healing service after sitting in this chair for too long. And hopefully if you sit in this chair for too long, you sit in there a little bit, you start to get the rough edges rubbed off of you. You start to be a little uncomfortable and you start to mature a little bit in God where it, all of a sudden it's not just about me, but all of a sudden I notice that there's other people in the world. This is like when junior hires recognize that there's the opposite sex all of a sudden and they start wearing deodorant. That's the chair this is right here. And so then you've got the spiritual adult chair, right? And this one, hopefully, you've come through these stages, and now you're a little bit more mature in God, where you, you're, you're, you're solid, and, and you're really thinking about other people. Now, our hope is that, as Ephesians 4 talks about, that we would grow up into all things so that we'd look like God. And how many of you guys know that God isn't so concerned with himself, for God so loved the world that he gave himself? And so our hope is that we would all grow up into Christ. And so me, church, though, that, that's this chair right here. Now, after I got done preaching last week, I had different people say, you know, hey, that, that's great. You helped us identify, and maybe you found out which chair you're in, but how do I really begin to take steps to move along that? And so I want to share some of those things with you today. Uh, but how many of you guys have ever been frustrated that you've been stuck before? Maybe at one position in life. Maybe it's that you're stuck at a job. You're stuck at one level in a relationship. You may be stuck at one spiritual level, and you keep finding yourself being at, the, at this spiritual child stage. And, and how, that feeling of being stuck is very frustrating. It reminds me of uh, a time when we were on vacation when I was a kid. And for some reason, uh, we were driving with this, I mean, I have four brothers, and my dad had this pickup truck with a camper shell, and all of us had to ride in the back of the camper shell for 3,000 miles. And we were, yeah, and so it was, and we were pulling this big, heavy trailer of, like, gospel tracks to deliver to somebody. And so we were driving, I mean, just, I mean, it's just a long drive in the middle of the night. For some reason, we drove into this little town in the middle of the night. It's like three in the morning, and we pass a gas station. We need gas, and so we pass one, and then we run and, and see another gas station. Well, my dad saw that the first gas station was one cent cheaper than the next one. How many of you guys are that person right there? You're, you're that person. And so he decides he's going to turn around and go back for one penny less. And so he turns into what he thinks is a parking lot, which turns out to be a mud pit. And this trailer and truck sinks down at 3 in the morning in the mud. And my dad makes us get out, and we're trying to push like 10,000 pounds full of, of stuff to try to move it out of the mud. And he's flooring it, mud's flying all over us, you know. And how you guys know that's kind of a picture of what some of us feel like in life sometimes. We're stuck. It's no fun being stuck. And I think some, sometimes we have that feeling of we don't want to be stuck, and so we're willing to do anything to not be stuck. And so it reminds me of another story when we were on vacation. We were coming back from Colorado back to here. Now, how many of you guys know that's a great trip through Kansas, isn't it? So fun. So we were, 
We were out there in the middle of Kansas in a motorhome that breaks down in the middle of Kansas. We find this mechanic shop and pull off, and the, the engine's basically blown. And so my dad, here, there we are stuck in the middle of Kansas, like the last place you want to be on the planet. And so we're stuck there with no transportation. Somehow my dad negotiates this deal to trade in this broken motorhome for this like 1960s car. And it's like, it's like bench seats, you know, and there's seven of us to fit in this Comet car. And so we're, we get all piled into this car, and now we're going to drive the rest of the way in this car that has an exhaust leak that runs right into the back seat where we're all sitting. And so for the rest of the trip, we're like hallucinating for the rest of the trip, which was probably better than the scenery, right? It was probably better. But we were willing to do anything to, to get unstuck. And I think there's some people here today that you may find yourself stuck in some area of life. And you're saying, I'd be willing to do anything. Well, today as I talk through the message, I want you to keep that spirit about you. Because sometimes some of the things we say we're willing to do anything, when it comes down to actually changing, how many of you guys know that change is really hard? Change is resisted. We say we want change, but when it comes time to change, no one really wants to change. And so I'm going to talk through how we might uh, move forward and begin to grow up. And I'll share just a couple of quick thoughts with you about what God showed me this week. And one of the ways that we need to do, kind of a posture we need to have to move from one chair to the next or to move from one level of our life to another is to live forward. Another word I could say to use that, to, to illustrate that, would be to live prophetically. Now, when I talk about prophetically or prophet, we don't use that word in our normal society very often. But in the Bible, it was used quite a bit. And it was to deal with mostly with future things, okay? How many of you guys are fascinated with the future? Like, what, I mean, sci-fi. How many of you guys are just sci-fi geeks or nerds, whatever you call them, right? Uh, well, I heard this story, read about this story that actually happened a few years ago. And uh, there's this thing over in, like, France, Switzerland-type area. I don't know where it's at. Uh, but it's around there somewhere where there's this large Hadron Collider thing or whatever. How many of you guys have seen? Like, this is, what, this is like as sci-fi as it gets, right? And what this is, is this is literally the largest machine on Earth. It took ten, over 10,000 scientists from 100 different countries and different universities to put all this together, like the best of the best, putting our brain power of the planet together to build this largest thing, uh, largest machine on the, on the Earth. And its circumference, it, it's buried in a tunnel that's 17 miles Right? And so, and then it's like 500 and something feet buried in the earth. And its whole point is to try to unlock the mysteries of the universe by running simulations of colliding particles together. Okay? Just as sci fi as it gets. Now, along with that, some people have theorized that we could actually create like black holes by doing this experiment and that it could somehow affect time and all these, you know, all these conspiracy things happen out of that. Well, one, one day, this is a, a, a true story, that one day uh, the security guards were, they found some guy rustling around some of the storage bins in, in this complex. And he was kind of an oddly dressed guy, and he was holding something, and they finally came up to him, and they said, what are you doing? He said, I'm searching for fuel for my time machine. And he was holding something in his hands that was supposedly his time machine that resembled a kitchen blender. And, uh, and so he was oddly dressed, though, and he kind of he started talking all about the future, and he said, I've come back in time to try to stop you from building this thing, to stop this, because it ultimately will destroy the universe. And so, first of all, I'm wondering, well, if the universe got destroyed, how did he get back here? You know, but anyway, that's a side story. Uh, 
But he starts to talk about what the future's like, that he's from the future, and he came back and through this black hole of this collider thing, and he comes back to try to warn everybody, and he starts to talk about the strange things of what the future's like. And he says, in the future, there are no borders anywhere on the planet. He says, in the future, everybody has like this limitless power. And he said, in the future, there's unlimited Kit Kat bars for everybody. It's just, I want that future right there, right? And so they locked him up in a secure mental facility. But true story, he, he vanished. And they didn't know what happened to him. And so, I don't know, maybe he was. I don't know, maybe we're going to destroy the planet. I don't know. But how many of you guys are fascinated by those type of stories? Because I mean, we're fascinated with, his, with, with the future. And that's the way it's been all throughout history. We've always wanted to know what's going to happen in our future. What's going to happen in the future? And in the Old Testament, there were these guys named prophets. And the prophet's job was to somehow foretell the future by hearing what God had to say about it or to demonstrate, even with their own life, a picture of what's happening spiritually or what will happen spiritually or even in the natural. So I'll give you an example. There's a prophet named Ezekiel, and God wanted to paint a picture through Ezekiel's life about what was going to happen in the future. And so he told Ezekiel, I want you out on the sidewalk there, I want you to build like a replica of Jerusalem, like a little toy replica of Jerusalem with gates and battering rams and all kinds of things, like a little G.I. Joe Lego set thing. Build it out there in front of everybody where they can all see it. And then I want you to put an iron skillet in between you and the city, and I want you to lay down on your left side for 390 days and prophesy against the city in front of everybody. And he said, and each one of those days is going to represent a year of punishment for the people of Israel. And he said, when you're done with that, turn over and lay on your right side for another 40 days. And that will represent something as well. And then while you're doing this, there's specific instructions for how you're to cook food for doing this. This is all in the Bible. I'm showing you this because sometimes the Bible's more fun than you think it is. All right. Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 12, it says, and you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. It gets worse. Okay? So not only did he have to lay on his side, he had to bake his food over that in front of everybody. Now, how many of you guys know that's, that's a stinky assignment that you got from God right there, isn't it? But he literally was painting a picture with his life of the future. Okay? There's another guy named Hosea. Hosea in the Bible, he also got kind of a, a unique assignment. He was told to go out and marry a prostitute named Gomer. Now, you know it's going bad when you're marrying a prostitute named Gomer. And she was unfaithful time and time again. He married her, but she was unfaithful. And he had to keep taking her back, keep pursuing her, because God wanted to paint a picture through Hosea's life of the unconditional love of God, foreshadowing the new covenant of a grace-filled God who continues to pursue us no matter what we've done. And so he continued to do that time and time again, painting a picture of the new covenant. There was another prophet named Isaiah who didn't have to live it out, but he had to speak it out. And he began to speak of something. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah was prophesying of when Jesus would come and usher in the new covenant, and he was also prophesying beyond that when one day every single knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, all the nations will bow before God. How many of you guys know that we don't see that right now? But there will be a day where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that every nation will bend its knee before the Almighty God. 
And that's, we live in this tension of the now where the kingdom of God has come, but there's still going to be one day when it will come in complete fullness and every single person will be subjected to it and will live under his reign. How many of you guys look forward to that day? That's, that's what we look forward to. That's what Isaiah was prophesying about. And so they, these prophets were prophetic pictures of something to come. Now, what does that have to do with us? We are supposed to be living prophetic pictures of what is to come. We are to look at the coming kingdom and to see what life looks like when Jesus reigns over it all and begin to live like that right now. We are supposed to look at what things look like in heaven and say, instead of waiting for us to get to heaven, we are supposed to live prophetically now as if heaven were on earth. We are supposed to live forward, live prophetically, live prophetic lives, that we are to be radiant, to rise and shine the glory of God. It's like a mirror. If I were to have a mirror and I were to angle it just right, you'd be able to see the ceiling, but you would be looking at the mirror to be able to see the ceiling. Do you realize that as we turn our face towards heaven, that when the world looks at us, they ought to be able to see God. They ought to be able to see a coming kingdom. And so we are to live prophetic lives every single one of us who are believers, to live prophetic lives. Now, we have to be the kind of people who see what, what is the future and begin to live it now. Now, how does that pull back, and that can sound super spiritual, but how does that pull back practically to where we're living day to day? Again, some of us may be stuck at certain chairs in our life. We may be stuck at a certain level in our relationships. We may be stuck at a certain level in our marriage. We may be stuck at a certain level in our ministry. We may be stuck at a certain level in our business. How do we begin to move forward? Let me share a quote with you, and I'll I'll repeat it twice just because I think it's worth it. But here it is. Before God promotes me to the next level, I have to already be walking in the higher level of anointing and authority, but without the position and title. Let me say that again. Before God promotes me to the next level, I have to already be walking in that higher level of anointing and authority, but without the position and the title. You see, here's what most of us do. We wait for the circumstances externally to push us forward into a new level. We wait for somebody to label us appropriately to push us to the next level. We wait for a title or for a position to push us to the next level. That's not how it works with God. That's not how it works. Before God promotes you externally, you have to be promoted internally. You have to be living internally. Let me share with you the example of David. You see, David, when he was anointed as king, he was only a teenager when he was anointed. He didn't become king until years later. But something happened when he was anointed as king that changed who he was internally from that point forward. You know, Samuel comes and and he says, bring all of your kids, Jesse. Bring all your kids to me. And, And he brings all of them. And Samuel's going down through. He says, nope, none of these are it. And he brings in David, the youngest, the, the, the runt of the family. Bring him in, and, and we'll see if he's anybody that needs to be anointed. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 through 7, it says, When they came, he looked on Eliab, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance for, on his, or on his height of stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so David was anointed, but it was an internal thing that happened, not an external thing. He didn't receive a position or a title or a label or a stamp of approval for years and years later. But I want to show you something that he began to act and to live at that higher level of anointing and authority before, way before he walked into it in the natural. 
Okay, the next verse, or 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. From that day, that's when the identity of a king came into David. That's the day that he began to have the DNA, the culture on the inside. He began to act like a king from that point forward. In fact, we can see later on when, when he kind of has his nemesis, King Saul, who actually is the king before David's king, David has a chance to take him out, to kill him in the cave. But David chooses to not do that. To, he said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. And so David acted more like a king in the cave than the king did. Because David had something on the inside of him. He had cultivated the internal even before the external took shape. Now, let me just show you how this works a little bit. I remember what it was like to pastor 100 people. I remember what it was like. I mean, a church is much larger now, but I remember what it was like to pastor 100 people. I did it when we had 50. I remember what it was like to pastor 250 people. I did that when we had 125. I remember what it was like to pastor 500 people. I did it when we had 250. You see, here's what happened. When we had 50 people, I started to internally live in the authority and the position and the, the title inside of me as if I were pastoring 100 people. And so what happened is I began to, like a gravitational pull, it pulled us as a church into that new level. Okay? When we were 100 people and we needed to go to, to 200, I started to live internally like a pastor of 200 people. And so what happened is that pulled us, instead of waiting for the circumstances to push us, I began to be pulled up by the internal culture on the inside. Is anybody getting this this morning? I can tell you right now we have 500 people. I'm not pastoring 500 people. I'm pastoring 1,000 today. You can't see that. The external circumstances don't show that, but I promise you I'm, I'm a pastor of a thousand people right now because I'm cultivating that on the inside. Now, I want you to apply that to your relationships. Apply that to your marriage. Maybe your marriage doesn't look like a good marriage, but on the inside you start to cultivate what a marriage looks like that's good even though the external circumstances don't look like that. Maybe your kids are a wreck and you, you say, well, I'm not a good parent because my kids are a wreck. You start to cultivate on the inside what life is like like when, you're, when you are a good parent, you start to live that now. You start to live prophetically now. You see, the, the problem is we, we just don't seem to have too much imagination or spiritual discernment to be able to imagine the future. Because when we're sitting in our current spot, all we see is the circumstances. And it seems completely reasonable to stay in the visible circumstances we see. There's a, a letter that was written in 1829 by future president Martin Van Buren. At the time, he hadn't become president yet, but he wrote the letter to the current president of the day, President Andrew Jackson, and he was kind of uh, warning the president to not step too far into the future because there's some reasons why. And I'll just read this letter to you. I think it's pretty interesting. He says this. He says, The canal system of this country is being threatened by the spread of a new form of transportation known as railroads. <laughs> and so he says, The federal government must preserve the canals for the following reasons. And he goes and he lists off all his reasons. He says, One, if canal boats are supplanted by railroads, serious unemployment will result. Captains, cooks, drivers, repairmen, and lock tenders will be left with no means of livelihood, not to mention the numerous farmers now employed in growing hay for horses. Two, Boat builders would suffer, and tow line, whip, and harness makers would, would be left destitute. 
Three, canal boats are absolutely essential to the defense of the United States. In the event of the expected trouble with England, the Erie Canal would be the only means by which we could ever move the supplies vital to waging modern war. Now, think about how that sounds crazy today, but back then, that was the reality. And he went on to say, "As as you may well know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour. By engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. He says, the Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such a breakneck speed. Now, here's what I want you to see. From Martin's chair, that letter was really reasonable. That was perfectly justified to have that position from that chair. But how many of you guys know there was a future coming that Martin didn't see? And I just wonder today if many of us are sitting in this chair and we look at our lives and we look at our circumstances and it's perfectly reasonable to stay where we are because we're not living prophetically, because we're not seeing, we're not cultivating the future inside of us. We're being pulled back because of the past. And so today you need to be challenged to see the marriage that you need to have and let it cultivate on the inside of you to pull you forward. Don't wait for the circumstances to change before you walk into it. You need to see the ministry that God has put on your heart and cultivate and be that type of leader now. You need to see the type of friendships you need to have and be that type of friend now even before the circumstances allow it. Is anybody getting this this morning? Okay, because this, this will change our life. How many of you guys know if you want a promotion on the job, for example, you, you start looking like the type of person that could handle the next level, don't you? And then somebody says, oh, this person could do the job. They're already doing it. They're already doing a good job. Let's go ahead and put them in that position. The same is true spiritually, that we've got to start living at that level with the authority and the anointing, even if we don't have the title or the position. Now, the second thing is this, and the last two points will go quicker. We've got to, to, in order to to move forward, sometimes we've got to look back. Because sometimes uh, many of us can't live prophetically in the future because there's something that God has told us already to do, and we haven't done it yet. And so you can't look forward if you've got something sitting in your lap that God's already asked you to do. And here's what we've got to understand. Many times, it's not big things that keep us back from growing in God. It's little things. In, in Proverbs, it talks about wealth gained hastily will come to ruin, but, but those who store up little by little, that's how you get it. It's little by little. And so if I, can't, if I can't trust God in a little thing that he's already asked me to do, there's no way I could take a step into a bigger thing. And so many times, most of our problems are not big things, but they're little things. Now, here's what I want you to get. Maturity is not measured by how much you know. Maturity is measured by how much you do of what you know. And so if you know God's asking you to do something, just because you know it does not make you mature. It's how much you do of what you know. It's like with my kids. If I say, hey, they, they say, hey, I, I, Dad, what, what am I supposed to do? Uh, I want to go out and play. What am I supposed to do? Okay, clean your room, and, and then, then you can go out and play. And they come back later, and they're like, okay, Dad, I want to go out and play. Uh, well, have you cleaned your room? No. Well, you're not going to get out and, and go out and play, right? And many times we act that way with God. We think that God is just going to step over something he's already told us to do. But God doesn't work that way. 
little by little. It's not how much you know, it's how much you do of what you know. And so uh, what's the last thing that God asked you to do that you've left undone? Because you're not going to move from that chair until you do it, most likely. You're going to have to do the last thing that God asked you to do. Why would God give you new instructions if you haven't done the old ones? Why would God give you new revelation in your walk if you haven't enjoyed and and studied out and applied the the ones he's already given you? And yet we want to take a huge leap when God is saying, why don't you start with what I've already given you? The last thing is this. We've got to live forward. We've got to look back. And we've got to start to love out. Okay? What I mean by this is, is very simple. So many times when we're stuck at this chair, we're so focused on our situation. We're so focused on our storm, on our mess, on our situation, and why life isn't fair, or why we're not growing, or why our situation's unique. Here's what I know. Jesus, Jesus said, he said, you will know who the people of God are by how they love one another. And so if you'll know who they are by love, then love must be a mark of maturity in the believer. And the only way to really love is to look out instead of looking in. And and so selfish people never grow. And if you're only looking in, you will not grow. If you're only looking in, you will not grow. See, love does not become real love until you have to choose it over feeling it. Love doesn't become real love until you choose it instead of feeling it. Because here's what I know. Many times we're we're sitting in our situation, we're saying, I don't feel like loving anybody because my situation or my circumstance is so bad. I don't feel like loving anybody. Let let me tell you, love is not based on feeling. It's based completely on choice. I'll say it even further. Love love is one-sided. You don't have to have two people to have love. See, our world tells us that well, you know, we've got to be in love, and two people have to be in love, and, and if we're not in love anymore because you know, we're not whatever, and you, I'm out of love, I fell out of love. No, you didn't fall out of love. Love fell out of you. Because love can be given with nothing expected in return. In fact, that would be one of the defining factors of what love really is. If, love, if you're giving love, demanding something back, I'm, I'm saying it's not real love. It's not real love. God gave us his love even though we had nothing to give in return. Love can be given with no expectation of anything in return. If you're in a relationship today, if you're in a marriage today, if you're whatever it is, and you say, well, we're just not in love anymore. Listen, you can love without expecting anything in return. That's what God did for us. When you start to love out, you start to grow up. When you start to look out, you start to grow up. Would you guys stand up with me as I read this final scripture? 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, anyone who, does not love, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? I want you to just focus. I don't know what part of this message has struck you, but allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you on it. I just want to talk to some people in closing here. 
that if you have not experienced the love of God, the grace of God, I want you to know that God offers his love completely apart from what you can give him in return. So in other words, sometimes we approach God and we think, well, I've got nothing to give God, or I've been too bad for God, or I've, I've sinned too much. Listen, God's love is coming for you anyway. It's coming to you anyway. He's pursuing you because it's not dependent upon you. And in fact, it says that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us, knowing that he may or may not get anything in return. But I want you to know that his love was so strong that he laid down his life and he died on the cross and he took the the penalty for your sin so that you could stand before God and have a, a relationship with God. And he rose from the dead to give you new life so that you can walk out of sin and out of darkness and out of bondage and out of addiction so that you can experience freedom in Christ. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know if I've ever made that decision. You may be here today and you've been in church a thousand times, or maybe this is your first time. But today you just know for whatever reason you're not right with God and you need to get right today. And I just need to know if we need to take a moment out of our service today to pray for you, for you to step into new life today. If that's you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, Pastor Sean, that's me, I need to pray. I need to step into new life today. I need to receive Jesus Christ. Would you lift up your hand real quick and put it right back down? All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? All right. We had several hands in each of the other services as well. What we're going to do right now is we're just going to take just a moment, and I'm going to lend you words, but you've got to apply the meaning. You've got to supply the meaning behind it and the faith. And what we're going to be doing is simply talking to God and taking the first step. And so would everybody pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me, that you took my place, and that you wiped away all my sin. I confess that you died on the cross, but you rose from the dead, and you give me new life. And I confess that you are in charge of my life from this day forward. You're my Lord and Savior. I receive grace by faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your goodness that it's, it's through the cross, through your blood, that there was a way made for us to experience your love. And Lord, today, as people have crossed from darkness into light, from sin into a Savior, Lord, I, I pray that there would be a brand new revelation, that they are a new creation on the inside. The old person is gone. There's godly DNA in them now from this day forward. The old is gone and the new has come. Lord, we celebrate that and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Can we celebrate Jesus this morning one more time? We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.